Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Happy Easter, Church. Really? Happy Easter, Church. There you go, because this day is the hinge point on all faith. Nothing we believe in or want to see happen or hold our hope out for matters if this day doesn't happen and Jesus doesn't walk out of the tomb. So it is a beautiful day. It may be your 97th Easter you celebrated or your second. It may be the first you celebrate as a believer, but this is the hinge moment in all of history we hold on to. Open your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Revelation chapter 21. We'll be looking at the final two chapters in this revelation because we are a Saturday people living in the hope of Sunday. We're in that in-between. And chapters 21 and 22 move us. They call us. It's something we think about and anticipate. This past Christmas, as we were finishing up our family Christmas time, uh, my son uh, Alex and his, my daughter-in-law Madison gave us a present. And they did one of those, hey, you and mom need to open this together. So they handed us this little package and Heather knows that my purgatory will be opening presents in front of people. So I looked at her like, please. And she opened it and she handed me this little tiny plaque. This is what it said. Now, Heather and I are not pregnant for the record. I was asked in the hallway, okay? But we are very, very excited. I'm, I'm happy for Alex and Madison. Heather and Donna get to be grandmothers. Dan Mitchell gets to be a grandpa. Emily and Claire are elevated to aunt status. Hunter and Braden, they get to be uncles. I get to be a very funny and extremely wise older role model. This is what I get to choose through all of this. And as excited as I am to watch Alex and Madison raise this girl, Lord willing, to the adulthood of following Jesus. I'm excited to watch that, but I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm frustrated. Why does pregnancy take so long? I know, gestation, I get it, I was there, I have two of them. But man, it doesn't seem on this side of it, that nine months seems longer than when Heather told me we were having a child. Because I was thinking, how are we gonna pay for it? And how are we gonna clothe it? And how are we gonna, do, how are we gonna raise it? We don't know what we're doing. And now as a grandparent, I get to sit back and go, <laughs> but I'm frustrated. It's gonna be a beautiful and satisfying moment when I get to meet this little girl one day, Lord willing. It really is gonna be beautiful, but I'm not gonna lie to you. It'd be more satisfying if it was today. It would be more satisfying if I could walk out in the hallway and hold a little girl dressed in a little fluffy dress and a cute little hat. That would be awesome. It's gonna be awesome in August. I wish it were awesome in April. Do you get the sense of being Saturday people? living in the anticipation of a Sunday that's coming and we know it's coming and we know it's gonna be beautiful and awesome, but we also understand the waiting can sometimes be discouraging. We're in the final two chapters of the revelation of Jesus Christ and how it reveals him to us. If you haven't been with us through this series, I wanna tell you that I would encourage you, not because I preached them or taught them, but what Elijah and I taught matters. And I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back to our website and catch up on these series, podcast them, listen to them. Because many people think that the revelation of Jesus is a time frame to figure out when he's coming back, like a mystery with a few clues. It's not. It's the revelation of Jesus himself. We've been asking ourselves this question throughout this nine-week series. What do we hold on to when the world tempts us to quit? When it's easier to fit into the world than it is to fit into the kingdom? 
when the world demands things from us that keep us from giving our full allegiance to Christ, what do we hold on to? Who do we hold on to is the answer. It's not just what strength we have, but what strength do we find in Jesus? This is what we've learned. He's the one on the throne. The world may think it's in power, it has none. He knows what we're going through. He speaks words of warning and encouragement to those he loves. He's overcome the threats of the enemy and he empowers us to do the same. He judges sin and those loyal to it and he rescues and frees those who are enslaved to it. He comes to receive his own and he will claim complete and final victory over all of his enemies without a single battle. It's Holy Week. Jesus comes riding into the great city with pomp and circumstance on Palm Sunday a week ago. And yet on Thursday night, he washes the feet of the disciples. They share the Passover meal. He's betrayed by one who ate with him, one whose feet he washed. He's arrested. He's brutalized. He's crucified. There's an earthquake. The temple curtain is torn. The disciples slink off, hiding for the fear, because if they can do that to the Son of God, what could they do to his followers? It was a devastating Saturday. It was a Saturday of wonder. It was a Saturday of doubt. So much frustration. They held together. They locked themselves away. They did what we all would do. And then Sunday morning arrived. When Sunday morning arrived, they were not expecting what he said would happen. They didn't understand it. They didn't put all the pieces together. They were so overwhelmed by their circumstance. Have you been there? Have you been so overwhelmed by your certain circumstances going on right now that you have to ask yourself, what in the world? How can God be God if this is happening in our world today? That's what Saturday does to our faith, the waiting, the wondering. And yet they worshiped. Because on that Sunday morning, death was defeated. They brought a hope that changed everything. These people that were locked away in a room fearing they were gonna die now became so bold that they risked death to preach Christ. Because he was resurrected, it wasn't his teachings that motivated them out of fear. The courage came from the resurrection and they became people alive. Saturday people living in the promise of a Sunday morning for the rest of their days. So here we are. What sustains us in our Saturday faith when we struggle, when we're tempted, when we face persecution and punishment for being one of his? Listen to the words that God gave John in the 21st chapter, verses one through eight. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will, no, there will be no longer death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. John says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
John's message that he received from God was not it's going to be over soon. His message was when it is over, it will be so much more than you could ever imagine. He didn't promise a brief period of time. He promised that that time would end and when it ended, God would deliver everything he's ever promised. He said, I am making everything new, including a people who are awakened to have a purpose and a passion to hold on to Jesus when the world says, hold on to it. Verse four, for the older, the old order of things has passed away. Old things will be made new. Not just renovated, but recreated. In Revelation chapter one, verse three, listen to these words we began with nine weeks ago. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Take to heart. What must we take to heart in these days? What must we hold on to? We have been told at the beginning of this revelation, at the end of this revelation, we are told, take heart, hold on to these things. Here's what we've been told not to hold on to. Don't hold on to that which will be taken from us and thrown into the depth of the sea. Do not worship that which is unworthy and destined to destruction. Do not be found unfaithful within the seductions of these days when your groom arrives. This is what we've been told not to hold on to. Instead, we are believing in the power of the resurrected Jesus. I'm sorry if I overwhelm you with this personal desire, but that day in August when they hand me that little pink thing, I'm looking forward to that day and actually beginning to experience some of the emotions I intend to have in that moment. I'm praying for that child right now. I'm living in the anticipation, although I see her not yet. This is what the revelation calls us to, to begin to live in the power of the promise, to hold on to the promise and not to give it away. We celebrate the facts of the resurrection, but what are the realities? What can we hold on to? What practically can we do instead of just holding our breath, hoping that the stink of the world finally passes away on its own? You see, I want you to know that by the grace of God, that child will join our family soon. I've seen ultrasound pictures. I've seen the baby bump grow on Madison. I've seen the number of packages being delivered to my house for a child that does not yet exist. <laughs> I am living in the reality of a child coming in August, but I have yet to experience the beauty of that gift. These things envisioned for us by God allow us to hold on. Yes, you can consider them inevitable, but I want you to note that the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to taste them now to hold them and love them and experience them now. What's the difference between a weak, immature, always tiring faith in today's day? It's not the person because the people who have the vital, mature, growing faith, they are people who are choosing to live in the realities promised to them now. They're not waiting. They're wandering into it with open hearts and full faith. The reason people fade is because the reality of God is not real to them. They believe in a God. They believe in a heaven. They believe that all of this is true. They believe that Jesus is resurrected. But until it becomes a belief that changes you, if Jesus is the only one resurrected, yay for Jesus. But what about us? We have to live in the reality of it now. When we were talking about this, because Michael DeFazio is, I know you're all going to be disappointed. He's preaching over in that building. You can't leave. You have to stay. 
But when Michael and I were talking about this particular message, Drake Holderman and Michael and I were talking about it, Michael said something that resonated with me. He said, these things that we're going to find in chapter 21 and 22, he said, these are not things we know nothing of. And when he said that, it struck me. These gifts given to us in chapter 21 and chapter 22 are actually the things we most desire. God is scratching the perfect itch. He's giving us what he knows we need. And when we realize we need them, it will fulfill us even yet today. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We know there's something more to this life than we're living now. We know that there's an emptiness in our experiences here on earth. Why is that? It's because we know there's something better. And it says that God has set that desire in us, but he hasn't revealed all of it to us. So when he reveals anything, hold on to it. Don't believe the lies of the world. Listen to the truths of God. So let's imagine this morning what it would be like to experience this even today. How about living in the satisfaction of our new home? A home that's safe, a home that's pure, a home that's clean, a home that's full of unity instead of anger and crime and killing and death. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. In verse 1, he says, there was no more sea. And we might look at that and go, well, that's weird. Where's the water going to come from? The sea, if you remember, throughout this series has been an image of darkness, of chaos, of turmoil. Where did the serpent come from? The sea. Where did the demons come from? The sea. Where did the great prostitute who betrays and tricks all of us into seduction, where does she come from? She comes out of the sea. And so when it says in the new city, there will be no more evil coming from anywhere. There'll be no darkness. There'll be no crime. There'll be no rape. There'll be no pain and no more murder. All of this will be done away with as God promised. No more chaos, only a place of peace. This new world will have beauty and power and delight, tenderness and glory. Why? Because all of those things are found in God and God will be in the midst of his city. This takes the Old Testament promises. If you haven't been here, let me tell you, we've said this repeatedly, that you'll hear the echoes of the Old Testament in the Revelation if you listen carefully. And this new city, this new home is the promise of Isaiah's new Jerusalem and Ezekiel's new temple all converging in the one picture that the prophets saw in their day and related to their people and John's relating to us. There'll be a new home. So this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Hold on to that. And don't make the things of this world, the, the tangible things of this world, don't make them worthy of your worship. You're gonna leave them behind and throw them away. Let's live in the satisfaction of new love. It's another promise found in verse two. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. He's coming for us. He, he has done all of this for us. Yes, he's done it for his own glory, but his glory is displayed in the way that he loves and cares for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful image. The holy city, this occupies John's vision throughout these final two chapters. This is so different than world religions. One world religion says that when you die, you're just like a, a drop of water into the random ocean. And I'm gonna tell you this, no, no, you're a part of a great city. 
You're a part of a great love. And God has done all of this for us. And then John mixes these metaphors. At once it's a city and then it's a bride. So is, it a, is the city a bride or is the bride a city or what? Well, John is trying to encapsulate that the city would mean the dwelling place of God. And the bride is who is coming, like a bride coming for her groom. He's coming for his church. He's coming in love and relationship. The closing scene in the Bible, pay attention, is not a vision of human beings going up to heaven. The vision we find in Revelation 21 and 22 is heaven coming to earth, a new earth, a new heaven, a new place, a new love, a new city. And we can live in the satisfaction of a new presence. So not only is God bringing us a new city and he's joining into this forever eternal marriage relationship with us as his groom. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I don't know if you've noticed, but up to now, something interesting has happened in the revelation. Outside of one verse in chapter one, all of the speaking has been done by angels and or Jesus, all of it. Now, God has been there and God has been worshiped and God has been involved and God's will is playing out. His master plan of cosmic redemption is in order and Jesus is dictating that order to the world. But in the midst of this, God has been relatively silent. He's, his will is being performed, but he hasn't spoken much until we get to this verse. It says the person on the throne speaks. God has a message for every one of us. I want to be with you. I don't want to be distant from you. I don't want to be disengaged. I don't want you to feel that I'm too busy or too powerful or too angry or too frustrated. I want you to understand I'm coming. I'm not going to send angels anymore. I'm going to come. And I'm going to come into this new city with this new love. And we're going to enter into this new presence. I am going to dwell among you. God is saying, I am going to come to you like I came to the garden and I'm gonna walk with you, and I'm gonna be with you. The Jews would have called this tabernacling, that the presence of God, wherever God was, the tabernacle was, where the presence of God was, that was the tabernacle. And it even says John, who of course wrote the revelation, received the revelation, is probably the best way to say it. John, who received this revelation, would also open his first gospel by saying, when Jesus came, he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us, John chapter one. And he's showing us this image that what Jesus came to do in the incarnation, that Jesus came to an unknowing world and an unwelcoming people, Jesus is saying when God comes, it will be to a knowing world and a welcoming people, and it will be all nations. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess who he is. But see, when Jesus came, there's a passage in Philippians that says Jesus left heaven to come to earth. And my tail's wagging a thousand miles an hour about this because what I want to tell you is when I see the end of the revelation, it's not Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. It's God bringing heaven with him. Amen. Because where is heaven? It's where God is. And God is going to mesh these two things together and all evil will be gone. And we not only have a new home and a new love, we are in a family forever. Who desires that? Yeah. Remember what Michael said? This isn't something we haven't thought about deep in our soul. This is the itch we need scratched. And we live in the satisfaction of a new healing. 
I don't know why I'm such an idiot, and this isn't a five-week series, but anyway, it's not, so here we go. Because each one of these has so much depth to it. The new healing, verses four and five. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's new. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. I don't know all that that means, but I know that God is faithful and true, and he is going to come and take the best things of creation and restore them in this beautiful new place that combines heaven and earth in the right now. But notice that when he describes our eternity, he often describes it by what it's not. Have you noticed that? He says, it's not going to be like death or tears or pain or crying. There'll be no more of these things that, that we face every day and wonder how we survive it. Too many funerals this last year. Too many funerals, period. Too many people angry and frustrated and wondering why their soul has this deep itch and the world can't scratch it. So we hold on to something beyond the temporary. Imagine with me, just dream with me, get on the ride. Take the curves and the dips and the heights and all of it. But hold on to this. What if at the end of this ride we're on, we really loved God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength like we never did before? Imagine what it'd be like to love your neighbor as yourself and receive that in return. Imagine the experience of absolutely seeing everything from God's perspective and instead of judging it and doubting it, delighting in it. Imagine what it is to know God in such a way that you're 100% sure he's always right. It's holding on to hope in a world that tries to take that away. And the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to use the power of the word and his presence to bring us to a conviction that, yes, we're living in the Saturday of our Sunday faith. Yes, August is a long time away, but that day will come. And when that day comes, there will be no doubt who brought it about. New home, love, presence, healing. And lastly, we live in the satisfaction only found in Jesus. The letter begins and ends with his word, his promise, his truth. Flip with me to chapter 22, if you would, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Does this sound familiar? You might look at this and say, I'm unworthy of this. Yes, we are. But does this sound familiar? It should. It takes us all the way back to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You might remember if you were with us that Jesus talked to seven churches. For some he gave warning, for some he gave encouragement, for some he gave both. But to all of them he gave a promise. See if you can't hear in these first five verses the promise. To the church at Ephesus, he said, the overcomers will be granted the right to the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22. To Smyrna, the victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death, Revelation 22. Pergamum, the victorious will be given significance in the new temple, the new meeting place of God, 
Revelation 22. Thyatira, the victorious will rule the nations with Jesus. Revelation 22. Sardis, the victorious will be dressed in white, which means pure, purified by the blood of Jesus. Their name will be in the book of life and they will be acknowledged before the Father. Revelation 22. Philadelphia, the victorious will be given a new name in the holy city of God. Revelation 22. Laodicea, the last church. The victorious will sit with Jesus on the throne having completed the work. Can you guess what chapter? Revelation 22. Do you see how the book ends? Jesus is faithful. He's true. He can be trusted. He's our only satisfaction. The reason we live such despondent lives in today's world is because there is something better for us. We know it, and he's revealed it. So don't trade the temporary dissatisfaction for eternal satisfaction. August is a long time away for me. I'm not patient by nature. But I see that there is a promise, Lord willing, that he will deliver. Look at chapter, verses 6 and 7 from chapter 22. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scrolls. And I love Jesus for his truthfulness. I don't always enjoy it, but I love him for his truthfulness. I'd like to have a debate with him on what the word soon means. You know what I mean? Because it's been a lot of Saturdays waiting on this Sunday. Be a lot of days between now and then. But if there should be more days than I even live in, I know this, he is faithful, he's true. And we are told to hold on to these true words. Pay attention. The hope of God's coming back is in the heart of the hope of Israel and it's in the heart of the hope of the church. When the world offers you a temporary solution, do not forsake the eternal promise. Resurrection set us all up to realize if he can walk out of the tomb and overcome death, there is no promise he can't keep. There is no promise he won't keep. He is worthy of our worship. Nothing else is. Hold on to the revealed Jesus and begin today to live in the new home, the new love, the new relationship, the new healing, and the satisfaction that can only be found in the resurrected Jesus. These words are trustworthy. Hold on, let's stand. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. 